you all. Okay, so uh, last week I started a series called The Blueprint for the End Time Church. And uh, basically uh, what it's about is, do you want to stick that slide up for me? It, it's basically, as you probably know, we've got a building project that's, uh, that's underway. And uh, we're about to, we've just put in our planning uh, for it now. And yeah, not that one. <laughs> so, it's a bit, bit, I think, out of our price range, that one. <laughs> there it is. That's, that's what it is that we're hoping to have built. So as you can see, it looks like a nice barn-like structure from far away. But when you get up close, it looks nothing like a barn. Um, and downstairs, it's a, you've got a 200 seater auditorium. Then the second half of it is uh, like kitchens and all that kind of stuff. And then upstairs, you've got residential rooms and classrooms, etc. And uh, yeah, so that is technically what it looks like. So that's now gone forward to the planning, etc. We'll see how, how that goes. And because uh, what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks, I'm going to be laying out a blueprint, which I believe God's given us. Uh, for where we're going as a church. And so over the next two years, we're going to be changing our culture uh, so that when we move to that building, uh, I know some will stay here, but when we open up that building, it will have quite a different feel and a different flavor. And we believe that that's where church needs to go for the times in which we're coming into. Uh, so last week I, I explained about, first, the primary foundation of what is a church. Um, and so we looked at... Um, it linked into the word, to the word synagogue, and that links into Hebrews 10.25. If you want to listen to all this, listen to the talk online. Um, and so there were three components that make up a church. A church is primarily, as God calls it, my house shall be called a house of prayer. So the church must for, first and foremost be a place of prayer. Okay, that is it. Because in today's Christianity, and people like myself are guilty of this, we've planted missional-type churches. Now, there's nothing wrong with that in itself. But actually, that's not really what the Bible says that church should be. It should be the other way around. The church should be a house of prayer. And from that place, we become missional rather than trying to be missional and bolt on prayer as an extra add-on rather than it being the centrality of who we are. Because who we are and our identity is found in the fact that we are a royal priesthood. And again, there's not a lot of teaching on this in churches. So over the next few months, I'm going to be spending a lot of time expounding about what does that mean. Also then in Acts chapter 15, where it talks about the restoration of the tabernacle of the... Gen of the, the rest, rest, sorry. I'll start again. The restoration of the tabernacle of David on behalf of the Gentiles. Um, there's a whole theology behind that, and I'll be unpacking that. And what does that mean to have the resurrection of the tabernacle of David in our, in our days, and what that means for Christ's return, etc., etc. So we're looking at that. So last week we looked at three key words that a church should be uh, from the Hebrew, which is a bet hatafila, which is a house of prayer. And then it also needs to be a Bet HaKnesset, which is a house of assembly, and a Bet Midrash, which is a house of study. Those three components are what makes church. Why is that important? And I said this last week, got a bit of criticism for it, but I'm going to say it again. Hallelujah. And that is, if you get three Christians that go to a coffee shop and have a cup of coffee together, that it isn't essentially, although it's the body of Christ coming together, it isn't actually essentially a church in the literal rendering of it because the Greek word for church, ekklesia, means the called out ones gathered for a purpose. I know there's a wider meaning where you have, you know, it's the wider body of Christ. But generally, a church comes together for a specific, those three specific points, to pray, to worship, to, uh, to assemble, 
and to study the Word of God. Now, that can be anything from a small group of people just getting together and praying and studying the Word right through to, to what we have now. We saw that, uh, that, that model acted out in the book of Acts chapter 2, etc., etc. So that was really last week and laying the foundation that we are uh, a kingdom of priests and that we need to understand who we are as priests. Okay, so are we all ready for part two? Yay. Okay, good. So the first thing that uh, we need to go to is in Ezekiel 43, verse 5. So Ezekiel 43, verse 5. Again, this is a Bible study, really. This is teaching, not preaching. So there will be a lot of scriptures. Um, so Ezekiel 43, verse 5. And it says... Now, obviously, there's a, there's a context to this, but it's just this one line I just want to focus on for a minute. And the Spirit of the Lord lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. Now, if you can bring up the, uh, this, the other picture of the temple, not the first one, but the second one. So, as, as illustrated, in a temple, you've got an outer court, which is where all those like, the priests are doing their stuff on the outside there. And then you have the actual sanctuary itself, and in the sanctuary of the holy place... And then at the rear end of it, you have the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant is. The Ark of the Covenant is where the glory of God is because the Ark of the Covenant represents the manifest presence of God. Hallelujah. Okay? So as Christians, if we go to the other picture, we tend to spend a lot of our time doing this stuff. So we're all kind of like milling around in the, uh, the two outer courts, you know, uh, you know, doing life, being Christians and st stuff like that. But actually... Ironically, we're not spending enough time actually in the sanctuary itself, which is the place of prayer and the place of worship. So what I'm trying to do is I make us understand as priests, we have a function, we have an obligation, and we have a responsibility that most of the time, or a lot of the time, we're not necessarily consciously operating in. And so I really want us to understand what that means. And so the inner court life is getting into that place and learning to live from that and then from that place, then everything else comes out of that. So, you know, mission and all those things come out of this. Because, again, one of the things that I see a lot is that a lot of us are not saying you guys, but I know I've been guilty of uh, idolatry in the sense that I, in the early days, I poured out my heart to minister to man, but I wasn't actually ministering to God. And my, as a priest... And the function of the priesthood in which I'm in, the order of Melchizedek, is my first and primary obligation to minister to God, not to man. Man comes from ministering to God. Freely then I've received, then freely I can give. So everything is the other way around. Whereas in today's Christianity, it's all about what's my calling? What's my ministry? How can I serve God? But actually, no, you're asking the wrong questions. Your primary ministry is to minister to God as a priest. Okay, so... Just a few things I need to lay a foundation for here. So Genesis 1, chapter 5. I'm just going to whip through this. Try and keep up with me if you can. So it said, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Isn't it interesting how the day begins in the evening and not in the morning? 
You know, so for us here in the Western world, our mindset is I go to bed, I wake up the next day, as soon as that alarm clock goes off, man, it's straight into work mode, gobble down my breakfast, get out straight to work, and then at the end of the day, if there's anything left of me, I'll just like crash in front of the TV and, and drool uh, until it's time to go to bed and start all over again, yeah? That's, that's not generally most people's existence, but that's generally the Western mindset. But that's not the biblical mindset, because the biblical mindset is you start your day from a place of rest, not from a place of work. And so, again, you know, we, we know scriptures like in Zechariah 4, 6, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay? It's not by your cleverness. It's not by our good intentions. It's not by how amazing we are up here. It's by the spirit of God. And we learn to live from the spirit, which is life and peace. But if we live by the flesh, it's death and all kinds of problems. Okay? Take it from me. I am a guy that's made so many mistakes, it's unbelievable. So you can learn off my folly and you can take it away and you can become wise experts. How's that sound? All right? Okay, you all make the same mistakes I did. Now, I've said this a thousand times, I'm going to keep saying it because it's really important. I remember I was at um, this um, big convention and this uh, Anglican vicar came up to me. It was quite a new one, so just literally come out of the mold, so to speak, you know, little rosy cheeks and stuff. Hello, I'm an Anglican vicar. And he said to me, he said, if, he said as, as, a, as a, a more experienced minister of God, he said, what, what could I learn? What, what could you tell me that I could learn? And I was like, uh, because I'm like that. If people ask me a question, I just go blank. Um, and I was, oh, yes. I said, I said, learn to live from a place of rest. And I explained to him, you know, in Hebrews 4, verses 9 to 11, it talks about how we need to contend to stay in the place of rest. And I explained to him how I used to run church the hard way. The hard way is doing it by my own intellect, by my own cleverness, by my own abilities. And so I would spend a lot of the time each day, you know, grinding out, trying to grind out a decent sermon and stuff. I know you're probably wondering if I'm still managing to do that. And I'm trying to grind out a decent sermon and I'd spend hours doing that and then I'd be busy for Jesus doing this and doing that. And I suddenly, after a while, became quite depressed because Actually, and I need to say this, and I'm not disrespecting people that flip burgers at McDonald's, but you would have a more satisfying life flipping burgers at McDonald's than you would be if you're serving Jesus full time and you're not doing it right. Because you'll be frustrated, you'll be angry, you'll be cross, you'll be depressed, ministers get burnt out. It's very, very discouraging. And one day it come to a point where I too came to my breaking point and I said, God, I've had enough of this. You told me to do this and I'm doing it and it's just not working. You know, what's going on around here? Blame God, right? That's what we all, everyone else does. So, so I thought, okay. So we went off on holiday that week, and God just spoke to me really clearly. And he said to me, son, he showed me that verse in, in Genesis 1, verse 5. He said, you need to live from a place of rest. And I was like, well, that all sounds really great and spiritual, but what does that mean? And he said to me, you're doing everything back to front. You're, you're like putting all this effort and all this time. And go and burn yourself out for me. He said, scrap the sermon stuff. He said, spend that amount of time in prayer and I will give you the sermons. They'll come directly from me and you'll, I'll give you the authority and I'll give you everything that comes with that. And I was like, well, that sounds easy enough. So I started doing it. And the day, literally, I'm not lying to you, the day that I started operating my life like that, our ministry began to turn around. Everything just turned around. Things began to grow. Things began to work. To the point now where I am like, I get a twitchy eye if people try to take away that time in the morning. So between, you'll never, you'll never, if not very rarely, see me before 11 o'clock in the morning because that's my time with Jesus. And no one can have it. Nobody. 
it's not for you. You go, Chris, that's very selfish. We'll speak to Jesus. He demands it. Okay, so that's what he requires of me. So I will not see anyone before 11 o'clock because that's the time I'm doing business with Jesus. Amen. Now, not everybody can do that. I get paid to do that, so it allows me to do that. But, but I will put God first. I want to live my day from starting in the evening rather than starting from like just get out of bed and run. I want to start to learn to live my life from a place of rest, and it works, and it's powerful. And I, I mean, I was, this morning I was speaking to a pastor. Again, the same, same things. He was saying, yeah, you know, just, we're just too busy. We're not, we're not doing what we used to do. We spent a lot of time in prayer, but now we're just being busy and busy. And uh, you really do not want to do that. Okay, right. So living from a place of rest comes from life in the inner court. So it is basically doing life on what I'd call knee time, basically in a place of prayer, place of meditation on the things of the scriptures. Now, I'm going to turn to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. And we need to look and understand something. Because if you want to understand what it means to be a priest, we first of all need to go into the Old Testament, do we not? To see the, the, what, what they did in those days. So we get Hebrews 10, 1, that very famous passage. It says, for the law, the Torah, it is a shadow of the good things to come, but not the very form of things, and can never by the same sacrifice which they offer continually year by year, uh, make perfect those who draw near. So the Torah itself is a shadow and an outline of the good things to come, but not the very formal. Other translations say not the reality. So what that means is, is that I then use the law um, to see the shadows and the types. So I can look into the Old Testament and I can see things there that might help me. So what we're going to do now is that we're going to look to the Old Testament and actually look about the whole thing about the priesthood. Where did it even come from? Now, I appreciate some of you are like, why is this even relevant, Chris? Why do I need to know? I tell you why you need to know, because you are priests and you don't even know it, half of you. And what does that mean for you as priests? And how are you living your life as priests? And how are you being fulfilled in that? And how are you fulfilling your obligations that are upon you as priests? Yeah, These are good questions that we need to be asking ourselves. Okay, so let's... Go back to the book of Exodus. I'm going to start in chapter 19, verse 6. Some of you might learn something new today, which would be good. Because um, there's some things in here you may not have seen before. Uh, which is always nice to learn something fresh, isn't it? Hallelujah. So, did you know that initially all of the firstborn children of Israel were to become priests? And did you know that they already were priests? I'm going to show you from the scriptures. Ooh, is this exciting? So Exodus 19 verse 6 says, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So here their identity as a people of God, uh, this is Israel, are to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, okay, a set-apart nation. And these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now, if we now move on to verse 24 in chapter 19. Now, I need to explain. At this time, the fullness of the Torah hasn't been given. There is no Levitical priesthood yet. There is no tabernacle in the wilderness. So hold that in your mind and watch this. Verse 24. Then the Lord said to him, Moses, go down and come up again, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord. What priests? The ones that are the firstborn 
Because we know from historical records that in ancient Israel, all the firstborn children were to become priests. Did you know that? And you go, well, I'm still not convinced, Chris. Well, okay then. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 8 and let Numbers uh, tell us what, what the story is. So Numbers chapter 8 and verses 15 to 18. Uh, well, actually, let's take it from 14. Uh, it says, Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the sons of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. Then after that, the Levites may go in to serve the tent of meeting, but you shall cleanse them and present them as a wave offering. For they are wholly given to me from among the sons of Israel. I have taken them for myself instead of every firstborn of the womb, the firstborn of all the sons of Israel. For every firstborn among the sons of Israel is mine, among men and among animals. And on the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them for myself. But I have taken the Levites instead of every firstborn among the children of Israel. So here you can see that the firstborn initially and were up till that time to be priests. But now, why has it changed? Because of, remember the old golden calf story? So Moses is up on the mountain having a good old chin wag with God. And down below, everyone's like, what's happened to this Moses dude? He's like, we haven't seen him for like ages. Where's he gone? He's probably dead. So, so they say to Aaron, hey, Aaron, make us a God that we can worship. So he forms this golden calf. Now, everybody is like then having like a massive orgy and all sorts of stuff that's going on. You read it for yourself. It's quite horrific. But the sons of Levi didn't do this. They were like, we're not doing this. We're not getting involved. And then one of the sons of Levi, he saw a man and a woman at, you know, doing their thing in the tent and shoved a spear through them. And God said, because of his zeal, I will bless that family line. And then the, the children of Levi then became the main priesthood. Okay? So, did anyone know that before today? Maybe some of you did. But generally, a lot of people don't know that. So that's something new you've learned today. Well done. Good for you. Okay, so why is this important? Because I tell you what, this excites me. Because then Jesus re put it back because now you see Jesus isn't of the order of Levi he's not interested in that order because he's far more superior and so he is the firstborn from the dead and he is the firstborn of the new creation i.e. the second Adam which we are now in the likeness for and so he is the firstborn and therefore he now becomes the preeminent he is now our high priest of the order of Melchizedek we're going to look at all this over the next few few weeks and then now we are priests in that order hallelujah everyone so you don't need to be a firstborn either Hallelujah. It'd be good for me because I am the firstborn, but some of you wouldn't be. But in this, in this move of God, all of us get to be priests. Hallelujah. I'm excited by this. So now I'm going to quickly whip over to 1 Corinthians 10. And uh, verses 1, 4, 1 to 4 and then 11. And it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses, baptized into the cloud, and baptized into the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And that rock was Christ. And verse down to verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Amen? So in other words, what's in your Old Testament was written for our instruction. Now I get a lot of people say, I don't like my Old Testament, I don't want to read my Old Testament. And this is a problem with modern day evangelicals. They don't like the Old Testament much. But the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture 
is useful for, you know, rebuking and edification and teaching and instruction, etc. So all of Scripture, we don't get to pick which bits we like and which bits we don't. You can't, it's not, it's not you know, cheese board and pick, oh, I like that bit of cheese, I love a bit of that. It doesn't work like that. We've got to take the full counsel of God. Hallelujah. Now, why am I going on about this? Is Because over the next few weeks, we are going to have to look at the Torah to understand the issue of our priesthood and what that looks like for us. However, I need to put out a warning here because there is confusion about this and I want to address this. So I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 5. And verses 17 to 18. You all know these verses. You've gone, oh yeah, that one. Matthew 5, 17 to 18. It says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, there's two things that this tells us. Firstly, the law hasn't been done away with. I know a lot of evangelical Christians say, yeah, but he came to fulfill it, therefore he's done away with it. No, that's not what it says. He says, I've come to abo- I haven't come to abolish the law, just fulfill it. And then in verse 18, this is quite key, is that the, the Torah has a shelf life. The shelf life of the Torah is only until the end of the age. So at the end of the age of man, Messiah will come and he will rule and reign from Mount Zion. And then when the new heaven and new earth is made, the Torah is no longer necessary. Why? Because if you read Revelation, you will know that at the very end of Revelation, there is no temple anymore. Because God is now the temple, and he comes down in the new Jerusalem, in that city that comes down onto the new earth. And it says, all the old things will be forgotten, the former way of things will be forgotten, and everything will be made new. There'll be new feast days. There'll be new things that we don't know about, etc. And we'll come into the fullness of that new order, the order of Melchizedek. If you don't believe me, listen to the last 10 uh, uh, podcasts I did on the book of Revelation, where I break that down into loads and loads of detail about how the tabernacle in heaven will eventually be closed, which is quite amazing. It comes to the fullness at the end of the messianic reign, and when the new heavens and the new earth is made, all that is finished, and then the new Jerusalem comes out. There's no temple anymore because we don't need a temple anymore because there's no sin and no sacrifice for sin and all that kind of stuff, although we still have a priestly function in that. Okay, so the Torah has a shelf life. That's important. But it's still running till the end of the age. Are you all with me so far? However, this is where it gets confusing. And so here we now need to quickly look at Romans chapter 7. So it says, because I'm going to spend a lot of time in the Old Testament, so I need to put these out as just a little caveat. So it says, do you not know, brethren... And Paul here uses this illustration about a woman who's married. He said, Or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person only as long as he lives. Okay, so if you're dead, the Torah doesn't have jurisdiction over you anymore. For the married woman is bound by Torah or law to her husband while he's living. But if her husband dies, she's released from the Torah concerning the husband. So if then, while her husband is living, she's joined to another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the Torah, so that she is not an adulteress, though she's joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the Torah. How? Through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another 
What's this other? This is the new covenant to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. If you're still not convinced with that, read um, Romans chapter 6. It says, you have died with Christ, therefore you are now alive. Verse 6, but now we've been released from the Torah, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. However, you can't push that too far the other way because then the other extreme is like, well, everything that the Torah says is irrelevant. We don't want to look at that anymore because that's not what Paul says either. Because Paul says the law is good and it is spiritual. Therefore, we must learn to read it and therefore we must learn spiritual principles from it. Because like it said in 1 Corinthians 10, all these things were written. Now, I could go into loads and loads and loads and loads of detail on this, but I'm not because I actually want to get to my point. Let's start looking at the shadow. Okay, so... Some little things that the priests used to get up to in the Old Testament. So firstly, the priests were ordained by God to offer sacrifices. You can see that in Leviticus chapters 1 to 7. Okay, So, and here's good news. You've all been ordained to offer sacrifices to God as well. Please shy away from, I know you like barbecuing, but don't sacrifice animals. You don't need to do that anymore. Okay, But we do offer up spiritual sacrifices. The second thing that the, um, sorry, that the priests were to do was that they, was to te- they were to teach the law. They were to teach the word of God. So everybody here, if you are a priest, you are mandated by, by the type and the shadow that you must become as good as you can experts in, in, in respect to God's word and sharing people about God's word and teaching other people about the scriptures and stuff like that. So that's one of your priestly functions. It's not all about prayer and worship. There's a lot of other stuff to do. Uh, it says that uh, priests determined whether a person was sick or healthy. Amen. We could do with some more of that. Um, was it Deuteronomy 33:10 says uh, a summarization of priestly duties they shall teach Jacob thy judgments Israel thy law they shall put incense which again represents prayer before thee and whole burnt sacrifices upon your altar also priests actually healed the lands we see this in Deuteronomy in Leviticus 18 and 2nd Chronicles 7:14 it says that prayer is an essential function to heal the land amen how many people think that our land needs healing yeah, I mean, most, sure, our land needs healing. And how's it going to be healed? By your prayers. Hallelujah. If my people will humble themselves and pray, and I shall hear from heaven, and I shall heal their land. Other things that the priests did is they took care of the temple, making repairs where needed. Priests were also musicians. They were gatekeepers. They were guardians. They were temple officials, judges, and craftsmen. Hallelujah, there's a whole load of scriptures about that as well. So, another thing, I like this one. Priests were mediators between God and man. Okay? Now, I get people come up to me, oh, Chris, you know, that, uh, that priest, priest Father Brown or whatever it is down the road, I'm not into that whole priest thing, you know, that whole mediation between God and man. I don't need a mediator. I can just go straight to Jesus. Okay, well, you do know Jesus is a mediator between God and man. He is a high priest, right? No? Okay. And you do realize that as a priest, you are a mediator between God and man, yeah? Okay? So, so why do you have a problem with someone who you think shouldn't be a mediator between God and man when you yourself are a mediator between God and man? Because you are the one that can intercede on behalf of the nation. You are a representative of the kingdom of heaven. So you are straddling two realms, the things of heaven coming through you and coming down onto the earth. So you are an intermediary of the things of heaven on earth. Hallelujah. You are an intermediary between the earth and God. 
You, no one else is going to hear the gospel except through you. No one else is going to pray for them except for, through you. You are the answer. Hallelujah. Jesus isn't the answer anymore. Like, oh, Chris has blessed me. He's in heaven. He's commissioned you and me. Now you lot go into all the world and do this job. Hallelujah. Okay? He's up there in his throne. He's commissioned us. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his authority. He's given us every single thing that we need pertaining to life and godliness, etc., etc., etc. Hallelujah. This is a good one. Leviticus 4.3. When priests sinned, they brought guilt upon themselves, but also upon the nation. Oh, don't like that one quite so much. It's putting a little bit of responsibility on me. You're not getting anything on me. You know what Christians are like? They're like these like oily shoulders. You're not putting anything on me. Well, unfortunately, this is on you. It's on all of us that our obedience is essential to the healing and cleansing of our land. And if the church is in sin, then it means the nation will be in sin. And we're seeing the church apostatizing, backsliding, and they all think it's great. Oh, look, we're so inclusive. It's like you do not, what you, do not know what you're doing to this nation. You do not know what spiritual um, muck that you are spraying across our land. Because it's upon us, the priests. You know, if it wasn't for ten righteous men or women, God wouldn't have destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And and that's why you and I need to be a righteous people and a people who are acting as priests. Hallelujah. Amen. So that priests were intercessors. They would inquire of God on behalf of their nation. So that means we have to pray for our leaders. Can I be a bit sarcastic? I'm not going to pray for Prince Charles because he's the Antichrist. (laughs) To be fair... I don't know how I would pray if the Antichrist was on the earth. I'm not sure I'd be praying for him if I want to. But, but that aside, in the meantime, until he's revealed as the Antichrist, I will pray for my king and I will pray for the politicians. And even if Labour get in, I'll pray for them as well. Actually, to be fair, I need to say this because I'll get flack now when people watch this. I'm not conservative either. I'm not green and I'm not yellow and I'm not red and I'm not blue. All right? Uh, because I get letters sent to me. It's quite clearly you're conservative. It's, I'm not conservative. I don't vote for anybody anymore. All right? They're all as bad as each other as far as I'm concerned. Hallelujah. But they need our prayers. Amen. We don't get to pick and choose based on our own personal opinions. We're called to pray for all men. But you don't know how evil they are. No, nor do you either. They could be worse than you could ever imagine. But you're still supposed to pray for them. You know, I'm always amazed... Like people like Billy Graham, they get so much, well, when he was alive, he gets so much flack because, oh, you're friends with President Nixon. How terrible. How could you shake hands with that man? How could you even pray for him? Oh, I don't know. Probably the same way that Daniel prayed for Nebuchadnezzar and worked for him. The same way that Joseph uh, worked for the Pharaoh. The same way that Esther slept with the most despotic ruler in the world. Oh, yeah. I hadn't really thought of that. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> priests were the nation's regulators making sure accurate weights and measures were being used in the nation I'm not quite sure how that applies spiritually um, but they were scribes as well for the nation so these are just some things that the priests got up to so as we over the weeks come and start to look at these things we then will look at what, could that, what does that mean for us then in our spiritual sacrifices that we render and offer up to God hallelujah Okay, I could go on and on. I I'm, I'm think I'm going to end it there because next week I want to start looking at this new and better priesthood and all of this kind of stuff because it's really exciting. But just to, just to sum up is that what I believe God has been showing me, and it, this is nothing prophetic and weird because this is completely biblical, is that there are three kind of life that we need to be living, which is inner court life, 
outer court life, and then life of the temple and, and how it influences culture around it. And so from that, we've got the prayer and the praise and, 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 the, and, the, and the ministry of the priest. And then we have the outer court, which is where we do life together and we do home groups and we meet each other and all that kind of stuff. And then we have the, the, uh, the, the city on a hill kind of thing where it's the mission of the church and how it influences culture, etc. And first and foremost, that we are a royal priesthood. And that I really believe God is really calling his church to come back to the basics, the grassroots of what the church is about, which is first and foremost, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Glory be to God. Amen. Bless you. All right, Lord Jesus, I just pray for us all, Lord. Pray that you bless all these good saints, Lord God. Uh, and I pray, Lord, over these next couple of years that you help us, Lord Jesus. You help us, Lord God, to be a people that love you more and want to spend more and more time worshiping you, praying, and also being a people that operate in our priesthood. Help us and show us in the precious name of Jesus. And all the saints said, Amen. Hallelujah.